This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Today on the COVID report, we are joined by Azra Karim, former VITS SRC member and an activist. Thank you so much, Azra, for joining us here. And firstly, has social distancing strengthened the need for social connection? And could this possibly bring people and communities closer together? Hi, Sipasisha. Thanks for having me. Um, I think the answer is twofold. So yes and no. Yes, in a sense that We've all missed our loved ones. We've all, um, you know, have tried to look out for each other, even if we don't know you, um, you know, try and help out those who need it. But at the same time, it's also, um, we've also seen the selfishness of people come out during this time where they haven't social distanced um, because it's one of those things of, you know, if I get it, I'll be fine. So I think it's a bit of both. I think it depends on, on, on your consciousness and how you want, like what your role would like to be in this pandemic. Now, speaking on roles, how would you say your role during this pandemic has been like, and why did you pick this particular role? So I started updating um, my social medias with all the information you would need to know um, about the pandemic, um, new regulations, new laws, um, you know, ways to keep safe, um, as well as the daily numbers, like, cases and deaths and testing and stuff because I feel like after April so I started doing this from from March but after April I saw people becoming a bit relaxed um, in the way that they they've been handling COVID you know it's oh things seem to be fine or you know just getting frustrated with the need to stay indoors so I felt like you know if if I took it on my part to show the seriousness of it and then maybe people would you know be more informed in the way that they continue living and also for, for a way to people know that, you know, these are not just numbers, like people are dying and they need to know that it's, it's in their hands to stop it. And how do you think the pandemic has affected societies, especially the marginalized groups? I think the pandemic has worsened their, um, their, their daily living. Um, I mean, in the lockdown level five, we saw so many people, um, lose their jobs because you know their sectors weren't open one of them being for instance domestic workers um and domestic workers already don't earn a decent amount generally to run their 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 lives and and their households and when they weren't able to come to week for what six weeks they weren't getting a form of income they don't have savings um because i mean what they get paid anyway is peanuts so they are asking people who don't have savings to survive for five weeks for their own safety so it kind of had a play on you know are they going to be are they going to as harsh as it is die of starvation or die of covid um so i think as south africa and a country with such a um, violent history of colonization and apartheid we really did see um, a huge um, impact on the working class and um and even foreign nationals um with us um honestly i think for them they were more affected. I mean, my, for instance, and I acknowledge my privilege here, I come from a stable household. My parents both work because they were essential workers. They were working during um, the hard lockdown. But even for them, it was the thing of, okay, you know what, we have to cut down. We're obviously not seeing um, as many uh, patients or whatever it may be. Um, so, I mean, for me, who, who lives a very comfortable life, for me to acknowledge that, you know, this is a rough time for even my parents, I can't imagine what 
it would have been for people who don't even have a stable form of living generally. With many homes and people affected, how has this pandemic affected activists and activism as a whole? Do you think that activism has changed drastically? And what room was left in the pandemic for activists such as yourself? I think, um, I think it really affected the way people had to um, now be active. Um, South Africa is known for you know, its protests and its mobilizations, whereas now we couldn't do that because of the, the risk involved. So a lot of it you know, had to move to a social media space, which is something that I took on my part, um, which, I mean, twofold again is great because you know, you're trying to find new avenues to inform people and raise awareness. But on the other hand, it's also that thing of the digital divide because not everyone has access to, to social media, to um, a stable internet connection. So I think the way that activism is at the moment is a bit, it's, it's lacking in it for a better word, in the sense that if you don't have like ways of communicating with people except through the ground, you're going to struggle. Or unless you're willing to put yourself at risk. For instance, if you're willing to go out and talk to people and possibly bring the virus back into your home. Um, or, you know, protest, which is a huge risk, especially um, the virus or, you know, for, for, for police brutality. Um, I think also um, it's changed the way in which, you know, we, we've had to view mobilization and awareness and also the, the types of struggles because there's been so many new issues that have been risen during, um, during the COVID time, which weren't as harsh as they were before. Now, acknowledging this change, some may even ask, is there a need for activists during this pandemic? 100%. Um, I think there's a need for activism more during this time than any other time, given um, how harsh the impacts of this pandemic have been on our people. Um, we've had um, people lose their jobs. We've had people go hungry. We've had um, violations on foreign nationals. Um, we've even had people who um, have not been adequately paid um, their grants and their UIF. Um, and obviously they would need that money more during this time. And it's also that inequality that's come up of the healthcare system, where um, if you have a medical aid and you can afford a private hospital, you know that if you had to get this virus, you'd be fine, right? Whereas um, if you don't, if you can't afford that luxury, um, you, you probably would, you know, you wouldn't know if you would be able to find a bed in a, in a public hospital or get the help that you needed. Um, and, and we know what this virus is. When you need like oxygen, for instance, you need it now. Um, so I think the need for activism now is more, more rife than before. And people really need to use this time to also reflect on the things that they have around them and be grateful for that and use their privileges to help others. Now, Asha, you come from a very a background that is very diverse and very active, and you are currently working with organizations in making sure they are working during these times. But in your experience, are activists, organizations, and movements evolving? And are they learning to adopt their tools and systems to build power, especially now during the pandemic? Yes and no. So um, a few organizations that I'm aware of have been, you know, trying to um, equip um, youth with data and mobile phones 
to, you know, to stay in touch and to host workshops over Zoom, for instance, whereas others have, um, you know, not adapted and have just moved everything online without, you know, trying to um, find new spaces or new people to get involved in. Um, and I think, I think that's a bit sad because a lot of like the information that um, people would need regarding COVID, you know, just general um, information um, that would help them be better during this pandemic. Are only available through online means, um, and we we already know that not not everyone has access to it. So I think that some have adapted and some have just continued as normal and just you know haven't made an attempt to be more inclusive, which is really sad. But I think it also brings up the the bigger question of the digital divide in South Africa. For instance, with online learning at many universities, we know that your historically white universities have easily be, gone online have managed to put their systems online, get their students online, and continue their academic year even before um, the Minister of Higher Education um, said that they should start. So I think it's that case of, you know, the digital divide and, and the huge inequalities of, of our country. I mean, um, Technicons haven't been able to start. Um, your, your smaller campuses, your uh, historically Black universities, haven't been able to complete or even begin their academic year online. So it also shows the huge um, after effects that we're going to face as a country. Now, despite all the issues that you raise, in such crucial times, how do organizers and activists such as yourself build stronger and more diverse movements while acknowledging the widening digital divide and other inequalities that you've mentioned? I think it's all about connections. Um, At this point, it's just about being available to help, being available to um, you know, do what you can um, for somebody who's in another active space to so, say, you know, we're doing this. Can you help or what can you do to assist this? Um, can we can you use your platform? I think it's just about joining forces with whoever um, may be trying to do things during this time and just helping each other. Um, because I think it's, it's a very lonely time. Generally, it's a very sad time for activism um, because of the limitations. So I think by just um, joining forces with the others that are trying to make a difference um, really helps a lot. Now, Azra, how are you increasing collaboration and sharing initiatives and resources to respond to COVID-19 within the activism community? I've been, um, so one of the organizations that that I used to be a part of at Vist University when I was a student, um, I reached out to them um, to, to, you know, try and raise money for students without laptops. So once online learning had started, I had made a call to the um, to the university to one of the ladies that I know there, and she had told me that as much as the university has been able to help um, students with laptops for those who don't have their own or can't afford to have their own, um, a lot of the the funds that had come in for that had come in to go to South African students, which means there were at the time I think a thousand three hundred international students who didn't have laptops at the time. So um, we had come up with, um, with some money, with a collaboration with um, Africa Muslim Agency to raise funds for um, students. And we, we were able to donate some laptops to students um, in African countries um, in the continent um, so they could start their online learning. Um, I've also um, been trying to raise money for um, domestic workers who had lost their jobs during the time. Um, through, you know, just crowdfunding and putting stuff on my social media and getting people to, you know, um, 
give grocery hampers. Um, we had also seen um, a lady get fired from her, her job. It was a spa, um, like a beauty spa. She had gotten fired um, and her employee, employer didn't um, file her, her UIF properly. So she wasn't able to get her UIF paid for. So she didn't have money for that month. So again, it was going out to my community, my networks and trying to raise funds for her. Um, and also trying to work with various organizations such as Islamic Relief to raise money for orphanages um, and, and, you know, food hampers and stuff for, um, for those, for the homeless, for um, those who have much less than we do. As always, constantly inspired by the work you're doing. But during this time of the pandemic, we have seen commitments and declarations that have rolled movements, that have rallied movements and people and a call for change of direction. What other opportunities has this crisis brought about? And is it all bad? I think, again, it's, it, it's twofold. Um, this, this pandemic has brought about um, many new issues, but also just, um, you know, harshened the, the realities that we had already faced prior to COVID, like unemployment. Unemployment has been one of the highest rates in the world in South Africa, and with COVID, it's gone up. Um, so I think that the pandemic has brought about more challenges, harshened realities, but at the same time, it is not all bad in the sense of we do see coming together of communities. We do see um, uh, a sort of, I mean, like the solidarity fund, for instance, um, we've seen a lot of like solidarity between South Africa to try and help each other, to help small businesses, to try and, um, you know, lift each other up. So, Look, in a in a airy fairy world, I would say, look, it's not all bad because, you know, we've seen um, we've seen a togetherness. We've seen, you know, um, a lot of um, organizations come together to try and, and, and help one another. But at the same time, we've also seen corruption rife and we've also seen our our realities being harsh. And so I wouldn't know how to look at it at this point, because the realist in me would say, you know what, um, as privileged as I am, I can say, you know, this pandemic hasn't affected me at all. But at the same time, the realist in me is saying, you know what, it's harsh in the realities of so many injustices that we've ignored till now and we've just seen it get worse. So if we weren't able to solve them prior to COVID, what the hell are we going to do afterwards? And that is the question. How, in your opinion, then do we start preparing for a life after COVID, which for some has left them worse off than before? What actions should we be putting in place? I think we need to have a real chat about accountability within our government. Um, I mean, afterwards, so many businesses and so many, um, so many young people who have lost their jobs, so many um, of the working class people have lost their jobs, like domestic workers. We need to have things in place. Um, and you can say, okay, you know, we have unemployment grants, we have UIF, we have all of those things. But even in COVID, we've seen that that hasn't been adequately run. The administration of it and bureaucracy of it has been horrific. We've seen corruption. So I think there really needs to be great accountability measures in place for that so that, you know, there's a means of helping people who really need it without the money not disappearing. I also think um, after COVID, you know, we all need to, you know, have a discussion to say, you know, are we going to go back to the way things were? Because the way things were, we're not working for anyone just working for the 1%, but that's it. We need to find a way that works for the 99% going forward. And I think the, the reality of, of how harsh COVID has been on our people needs to be the driving factor of how do we protect them going forward. 
Now, lastly, Azra, before I let you go, do you have any parting words about COVID for our listeners and being an activist during this time? I think my, my parting words would be for us to do better as the South Africans and to be better South Africans um, to ourselves, to each other, to our country. I think we need to hold our government more accountable. Um, you know, as, as a very political person myself, I don't want to be that person who complains about our current government and then, you know, gives them the power by voting them in again. I'm not saying, you know, hold a coup or whatever, but I think we need to find other ways to hold our government accountable. I think going forward, we as South Africans need to be prepared to help one another out um, in more than a just posting on social media way. I think we really need to come up with sustainable solutions for us to grow as a country, to pick up our economy and to really help unemployed people. That was Azra Karim, a former WITS SRC member and activist, sharing with us how activism has changed during the pandemic. Now, we look at the inequalities that we find in South Africa. To do that, we are joined by Luvuyo Madasa from Reimagine SA, a group of committed South Africans to the active citizenry of our people. Thank you so much, Luvuyo, for joining us here on the COVID Report. And firstly, what are the key functions of Reimagine SA and how is the organization addressing issues of inequality in our country? Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for the opportunity to share about Reimagine SA and the work that we do. To answer your question, um, what Reimagine does is work to drive the whole idea of South Africans, various different stakeholders coming together to do exactly that, which is to reimagine essay. We use three different pillars to achieve this, and they sit in the space of political settlement, emotional settlement, and economic settlement. On the side of political settlement, it's about inspiring, engaging, and creating awareness for each and every person we engage with to understand that they can play a proactive role in being an active citizen in the spaces, the communities, the organizations that they operate in. So how do they come in and essentially inspire the various different people they come in contact with to do the work of reimagining SA? On the side of emotional settlement, that is now speaking to what is outlined in the preamble of our constitution, which is doing the hard work of healing the wounds of the past. So you as an individual, what emotional state are you in about the various different things that you're trying to address, whether it be inequality, gender bias, um, racism, the number of different things that we as a young nation in democracy, I know a lot of people talk about 26 years into democracy is a long time, but relatively speaking, we're new into this game of being active citizens that are taking charge of their reality and the opportunities that are in country. Then back to the third pillar, which is economic settlement, which is about saying how do then these people that you've engaged giving them a sense of awareness of the roles that they can play, help them with their state of being, and then start coming together to say, what are the opportunities we can all come into um, taking into the future, working together to make take advantage of the opportunities that are out there. So whether it is advancing um, a variety of different organizations that are already on the ground or starting something anew, that then comes out of the work that we engage with various different stakeholders on. Now, staying with the third pillar and more specifically our economy, what main factors play a key role in reviving the current state of our economy? 
That's a very difficult one. And we as South Africans in the global community are trying to learn while doing. And I think what COVID has exposed most significantly in South Africa is that we have unfortunately not done the hard work in undoing the systemic exclusion of our past. What you are seeing in society is it mirrors quite closely the communities that have been well established, the urban centers, the um, vibrant economy that we understand as and we call the formal economy has been able in one sense or another to continue business as usual. How does this manifest? It's the calls that we're having right now using digital platforms. That is because we're operating in the sector that has connectivity, it has access to the various different platforms, be it the device that we're having the conversation on, or the data that is required for us to have the conversation while practicing the social distancing. What you're seeing in communities where we haven't had a concerted effort and um, deliberate investment in bringing in the infrastructure, the resources, and the dynamism that an economy and a robust activity as people engage with one another require, you're seeing the exclusion, you're seeing people still having to physically be in places in order to either gain access to opportunity, whether it be the collection of the grants, as we've seen in the recent history during the, the lockdown period, the unfortunate scenes of people who are either lining up for food, lining up for opportunities and the difficulties that that comes with. Now, what we are learning is that we are an intensely human contact um, economy and that you see in our townships, that you see in our various different um, rural communities. And what we are needing to find ways of engaging and enhancing is how does technology play a more formidable role in how we interact, how we learn, how we communicate and share the various different um, opportunity sets that we may find at community level. Now shifting gears, what are possible recommendations for greater transparency in order to give direction in strengthening SA's mechanisms for achieving gender economic equality? I think information is always key. So how do we share that information? How do we package it? And how do we, again, disseminate that information? What is very difficult, and I was having an offline, more personal conversation with us discussing with a friend, discussing the, the realities of maternity leave, the, the difficulties that you know the organizations when looking at their bottom line, start looking at the cost of an individual who is going to take time to, you know, um, in essence, take care of bringing a child into this world. The first few months that you enjoy in that maternity leave and having access to your, your newborn child and all that comes with. And the, the, the fundamental conversation we're having was maybe it's time to relook at the system that looks at the most important act in we have as human beings which is bringing life into this world and the most important act of rearing you know future leaders and people who can be contributing members of society and how the current system is at odds with possibly the most important job society has which is rearing people human beings to interact better and we're seeing a lot of things where we're manifesting a lot of social ills there's the 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 devastating reality that men in this country don't, um, you know, seem to value and show um, the, the 
the required appreciation of women in society. We are angry, we have pent up frustrations, whatever it may be, and we're just expressing them in a very, very toxic way. Now, when we start talking about the um, essential making space of women into the economy, women into um, the various different work environments we speak of, it requires a fundamental shift on how society choose um, has chosen to engage and um, in essence make space for. It's always an accommodation rather than building an economy around women and the most important job that we have, which again is child rearing in society and making sure that we have various different policies that we can then create various different strategies and approaches. So there are a number of things that have been exposed by the COVID reality around the inequalities. And the question is, are we taking those realities seriously, taking stock of them for what they are and respond, responding accordingly? Now, procurement is the underlining source of breaking inequality in South Africa. How is this going to be used to ensure that procurement for women is a key driver for economic emancipation, for business equality in South Africa? So back to that space of transparency, back to that space of information being captured and disseminated appropriately, I think we need to start building those databases that allow for reporting to make um, contact with all the different spaces that people are coming from. The opportunities need to be put forward as such. And I think there is the existing um, procurement policies as you speak to and the broad-based black economic empowerment policy that is prioritizing procurement from women. I think the, the awareness of the opportunities, how to gain access to them and how to scale up as organizations is something that also needs to be prioritized. So you will be aware of the enterprise and supply development policy. I think it needs to be taken more seriously and engage more proactively around programs that not only identify people who are offering viable solutions to various different procurement and supply chains. And the matter is how do we proactively make sure that the existing businesses taking advantage of those opportunities can be scaled and supported accordingly so that we can create, again, more employment opportunities and more movement of resources and the movement of finances in the economy to people who can deliver on those services. Now, Louvre, if I can take you back to your previous answer, you characterized childbearing as an important role for women. Could you briefly explain that and if that is correct? So I think the, the childbearing and rearing role has been one of the roles that in society we essentially have in one way or another abdicated to women and it's seen as something that is less of. So um, when you look at the economy as we currently understand it, we don't necessarily in the corporate sector um, essentially make space, enough space of um, how to make the reality that a professional woman does take some time off of work and essentially attend to that reality of um, bringing a human being into this world. How it is currently structured is that many organizations, many ver various different policies speak to that as something that is at odds with productivity and the bottom line on a more consistent basis. So when that is engaged, we tend to look at it as an individual who is going to be a, a cost um, to an organization may not progress as much 
in an institution into the various different leadership spheres. So when I speak to that point, I'm saying that the system as we currently um, operate within it sees that role as something that is one, um, very difficult to quantify and see it as something that is at odds with um, essentially raising the or putting together the fabric of society. So above and beyond solving for matters in the current economy as we understand it, how do we come together as individuals to start saying, well, if we are also suffering the ills, and this is not to say that child rearing is exclusively the role of women, but how do we come to an understanding where the two are not seen at odds with what is um, seen as the productive side of the economy? So how does our economy start putting people and their needs central and making sure that the um, creation of a foundation and a reality and an environment that makes sure that parents and how they take care of their families is something that is prioritized both in society and manifests itself in policies that make more space for that in the economy as well. Now, moving on, how can the youth of South Africa become key drivers in the eradication of unemployment and poverty? Young people can play a more proactive role in bringing forward their solutions. I think what was initially taken as a pastime, we're seeing that the use of internet, the use of social media becoming a viable source of engagement and people, brands, institutions are more attracted around the various different followings, whether it be the micro-influencing when you look at social media, um, the various different YouTube channels in terms of people creating content for people to consume. A lot of organizations are now saying, well, the mass media, the shotgun approach is not necessarily as attractive that it, as it once was. How do we start looking at these various different channels that young people are fair with in terms of getting the messaging and growing um, whatever it may be that the institution is interested in growing, insights, awareness, um, market share, using these various channels that young people are fair with. Now, how can we as young people start looking at the world and seeing ourselves as contributors of solutions, not always as people who are consuming solutions that are created by others and taking that role in a more proactive way and saying, well, this is the way that I view my world, my reality and my community. And these are the solutions that I can start putting forward that are more in tune with the reality and taking advantage in the here and now on you know, owning and taking up the space of the leadership roles we can and should be playing. Now, in your previous answer, you touched on it briefly, but how can young people leverage on digital platforms as a means to bring solutions to current social issues? And those that don't have access to the digital world, how can they take part in bringing solutions? I think the digital platform side of things speaks to an opportunity where it's most equal and most level playing field, if I can use that expression. And young people are more in tune and essentially, the, I'll use the expression tech savvy about how to package information, share it with their various different spaces. Now, what that speaks to is an ability and an understanding of engaging with various different audiences. How can we as young people bring that to the fore and bring it forward as an offering to the various different institutions that have doubled down in various channels that are quickly becoming as diluted by the role that technology has come in and is 
playing quite forcefully. I think the COVID environment has shown, for example, the, the difference between hosting in-person conference webinars, excuse me, um, in-person conference and workshops and forums, and has now migrated to the digital environment where we're hosting webinars, packaging content, and disseminating it to audiences and followings that have already been built by us over time or trusted relationships that we've built with our audiences over time. Now, for young people, again, being a fair with the various different platforms, how do you start doubling down in your understanding and your ability to use that in order to drive that, that content and that messaging? And that is becoming something that initially was more of a pastime, is becoming something that people used to think of as an afterthought, more of a forefront proactive opportunity and channel to develop and build. And how can the South African government work with organizations like Reimagine SA to address issues of inequality in our country? Thank you for, for that question. I think the, the opportunity is for government and institutions by and large is to start being deliberate about finding different and new ways. And again, I think as per the, the show and the, the platform we're currently on, COVID has exposed the gaps that we currently have. COVID has also exposed that we cannot continue with business as usual. And it's about now starting to identify various different partners, stakeholders that have relationships that are either on the ground or with audiences that you're trying to get a hold of. How do you then work in partnership to get the insights that you require from those various different communities and audiences and um, platforms and filter them back into the um, spaces that government is quite a fair with, which is about creating an environment where business and society can work closer together, creating an environment where citizens can come into their own and creating a space where we as citizens can start being better exporters of the things that work best in our country, rather than the unfortunate bad news that we keep on um, recycling and sharing with the rest of the world. So how can the um, government as we currently um, engage, start offering more dynamic solutions and partnerships and looking at those partnerships as a means of getting on the ground and being in contact in a meaningful and relatable way with the people that they want to communicate with. Now, lastly, speaking more to your organization, how has COVID-19 affected the existing projects within Reimagine SA? I think the response and on a national basis to the novel COVID pandemic and the social distancing side of things has essentially put a pause on any of the engagements in person. So we do offer workshops, forums, and different types of um, conferencing opportunities to bring people together, exchange ideas. And I think the impact of the lockdown restrictions, the number of people that we can bring into a space has required us to think differently about making this engagement process still something that we can offer, but essentially doing it in a way that adheres to those rules. So I think the, that impact of the, the COVID restrictions has also allowed us or forced us to rethink the preferred mode of engagement and seeing how digital can complement what we have been doing in the physical and going forward, creating a more dynamic offering that offers um, a lead and lag between the two 
and that is something that you're seeing more and more of um, being offered out there. And that was Gubuyo Madasa from Reimagine SA, a group of South Africans that are committed to active citizenry. Thank you so much, Gubuyo, for joining us here on the COVID report. And before that, we were joined by Azra Karim, a former WITS SRC member and activist, sharing with us how activism has changed during the pandemic. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of WITS. By Voice of WITS. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1 or streams via www.valfm.co.za.